0: Welcome to The Best of Us, an education podcast that highlights the concepts, practices, and stories of K-12 professional learning leaders working to enhance the educator experience and bring an excellent education to all students. To get the best of our students, we need the best of our educators. And in each episode, we'll bring you the professional learning leaders who are doing just that to enable your work. The Best of Us is brought to you by Kickup your partner for ensuring that the investments you make to increase educator capacity find their way into the classroom.
1: Hi, I'm Jeremy Rogoff, co-founder and CEO of Kickup and host of the Best of Us podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Lori Matske, assistant superintendent in the Department of Public Instruction for the state of North Dakota. Between attracting young talent and retaining career professionals, a teacher shortage crisis in a rural state can be especially challenging, but Lori and her team found a sustainable solution. In our conversation, Lori shares how her team found inspiration in the state's first paraprofessional to teacher pipeline program, originally created before the pandemic to build post-COVID solutions for special education and teacher shortages across the spectrum. We talk about the partnerships that have been critical to successfully expanding the program, what they've learned along the way and how they're measuring success. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Lori Matske, welcome to the best of us.
2: Thank you, glad to be here.
1: I am super excited to have you on the podcast. We talk to practitioners very often in school districts around improving the educator experience. We talk to professional learning leaders, but I think the work that you're doing in North Dakota focusing on the educator pipeline is critical to ensuring that we have high quality educators in our buildings, not just for a year, but for a career or for many years. And so excited to dig into the work that you've been doing in North Carolina. I'd love to start for our listeners, if you could just frame the problem a bit when it comes to attracting teachers. We know that we have a teacher morale crisis. We know that we have a teacher retention issue, but talk about how that has been specifically acute in the state of North Dakota.
2: Sure, be happy to. So um, North Dakota, like most other states, is facing a pretty dire teacher shortage. And so just this past year, 22-23, we had 613 unfilled positions and that may not sound like a lot to some, but North Dakota only has 9,000 teachers in the state, and so um, you know it's it's a dire situation, especially when we're coming off a pandemic with all of the learning loss. If we don't have teachers, you know that's only going to get worse. And so we're very concerned about this teacher shortage. And then you know we have the additional issue of the ruralness of our state. Um, you know we'll. The, the vast majority of our state is rural, and there just aren't a lot of things to attract young people to move out to a rural community. You know, they don't have gyms. They don't have places to meet and gather with other other people. And so it's just, you know, it's an additional burden that we um, face when filling teacher positions.
1: Yeah, when you think about 613 positions for 9,000 teachers, that's almost 7% of the entire teaching population for the state of North Dakota. So that is a huge number. Um, Is that problem felt in particular subject areas, grade levels? Where is it most acutely felt?
2: So by and large, um, the greatest area of impact is special education. Um, That is where we're struggling the most to fill positions. And, you know, that is true within our school districts that's also true here at the state level, filling offices in our special education office. So that's our most critical issue. Um, second to that, another critical area is um, nine through 12 science. And so um, I would say those are two biggest critical areas at the time.
1: Got it. So what what is the solution that North Dakota pursued to try to mitigate some of these teacher shortage issues?
2: And I will give full credit to our Office of Special Education. Um, So it was actually pre-pandemic back in 2019 where they came up with this idea. So it was originated in our Office of Special Ed where they worked with a university, and they created the very first paraprofessional to teacher pipeline program. And it was very, it was specific to special ed. So looking within districts that have special education paras, and they're, you know, halfway there. Um, if they're a pair, they have some education so fast tracking them, um, creating a program to fast track them to become a teacher and it just has such phenomenal success. Um, the, there was a waiting list to get into the program, it was just very successful. So then along comes the pandemic and we had these state level ESSER funds. And so we decided to use some of these dollars then to replicate these programs across the state. Mm -hmm. And so we have since funded two more paraprofessional to teacher programs and they all kind of have a unique specialty. So the first one was special education and then the second one focused on rural districts and then the third one focused on dual licensure. So they would graduate teachers with maybe general ed, special ed, general ed, English learners, um, general ed, early childhood, for example. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And why do you think this program in particular was so attractive to paraprofessionals? You mentioned that they're halfway there, but what are some of the conditions that you put in place to make it work for them?
2: I think the number one thing that really is appealing about this program is that these are people that are already living in that community so they are invested there already and so you know you don't have that issue of having to attract young people into a small rural community they um, obviously like that setting maybe their you know um spouse is already you know a farmer or somebody in the community so they're in that community they're more likely to stay in that community And so this this program is very appealing. And then the other thing is it's all online. And so you know back in the day, all of these individuals from rural communities would have to travel, work all day, and then travel to get to a larger city with a university to go to school, where now it's all online, so they can do it from the comfort of their own home. And so that, in addition to being able to fast track it and usually get done in two years, it has just been very positive and very successful.
1: Right, so cost, convenience, making it something that's accessible to them, um, breaking down barriers for paraprofessionals to become full-time teachers. It seems like a a win-win for everybody, especially for paraprofessionals that you said are already invested in the community. Even something that is a win-win can be years in the making to put together, especially at the state level. Can you talk a little bit about how did this solution come together? What was the process for bringing the right stakeholders together. It sounds like you had a head start with the Office of Special Education, but you know what how did we bring the right people together to the table to actually scale it?
2: Yeah. And that collaboration piece is critical in a especially in a state like North Dakota. Um, we have, I think, the smallest state agency in the nation. We have 72 people in our whole department. And so we have to collaborate in order to get things done. And so this work involved um, a number of entities, where we had to work, of course, with our EPP providers. You know, the university system. We involved our um, our teacher licensing board is actually not part of the department; they're a separate entity. So we worked with our um, licensing board. We brought in our CTE staff. They as well are not part of the department; they're their own entity. So we brought them into the loop. Obviously, our office of apprenticeship, because um, after using the ESSER funding, this then kind of blossomed into a teach a registered teacher apprenticeship program. So then we had to bring in the office of apprenticeship. We've also used some of our ESSER funding to contract with some entities to help us um roll out the program because again we are so small and so we found a retired educator her name is Dr. Lynn Hammonds, and so she's serving as a liaison in the state and and you know kind of that communication go between with our universities and department and then um, can't speak highly enough about um, a gentleman named David Donaldson he started the National Center for Grow Your Own Work and so we also used ESSER funding to partner with him and you know he has a lot of expertise in this area, so has helped us roll out this program in North Dakota. So it's been a very collaborative process with many, many, many partners.
1: I think I counted seven or eight. So universities, teacher licensure, CTE staff, um, the Office of Apprenticeship, and then the folks that are experts in uh, not only the coordination of this, but also the actual best practices of what does it look like to create a program like this. So it's an incredible collaboration of so many different stakeholders. What would you say were some of the challenges that arose in trying to put the program together?
2: You know, I I think the number one challenge was um, the issue that North Dakota faces, like so many other states, our universities are having declining enrollment. And so here you have this very successful program, but just like any initiative, there's not enough money to go around, you know, to everybody. And so it did. There was that competitiveness of the grants. Obviously, you know, our department has to follow procurement rules. So we have to put out everything on a competitive basis. And so we actually have quite a few universities for such a small state. And so it, it created a little bit of uncomfortable tension and competitiveness amongst our EPP providers. Mm-hmm. And that has probably been the most difficult because we do have very, great universities that are very high quality and you would love to be able to fund all of them. Um, but you, know, you put something out, you have enough money to fund two or three. And so that has created some tension within the state.
1: So the competitiveness among the actual university programs to vie for the students that you would be funding to become teachers, sounds like. Correct. One of the things that I read though was that um, at least in North Dakota, teacher prep programs have not decreased in enrollment, whereas teacher prep programs across the country have. Is there anything in particular happening in North Dakota when it comes to attracting students to teacher prep programs that you think um, have made that the case?
2: Yeah, you know, I think their enrollment is, they're starting to be concerned about their enrollment, maybe not in the teacher prep programs, but just their enrollment overall. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would say that number one, the quality, you know, the the quality of our programs is top notch. Um, And, you know, I think it's a little bit of a myth actually that people don't, I, I can't stand it when people say, nobody wants to go into education anymore. Cause I just, I don't think that's true. I think a lot of young people are interested in pursuing a career in education. But when you look at, you know, going to a university for four years and racking up 80 to $100,000 in debt, and then trying to pay that off on a teacher salary, I know I have friends who are in their 60s who are still paying on their teacher loans. And so we need to find ways to make it more affordable. And, you know, with these programs that we've created, um, it's completely tuition tuition free, and so, you know, therefore, these individuals who are interested in in pursuing the teaching profession can do so while they continue to work and support their family and get their tuition paid for. So, um, you know, that has been a real positive.
1: Yeah, so it goes back to the access piece. And you mentioned that it's fully paid for um, for the students. So talk a little bit about the different funding structures. I know you mentioned ESSER, special education. How did it all come together to be fully funded?
2: so it began like i said with that one program that special ed initially funded and they used their state discretionary state special ed discretionary funding and then for the other two programs we used our esser dollars and so you know now we're in the process of you know looking to see what other funds we have to sustain this work because you know the esser funds are only going to be with us for about another year and a half And so we've really been in sustainability mode and fortunately we're in a legislative session right now and word has. um, gotten out to our legislators about the success of this program so there is currently a bill in our North Dakota legislative session to. provide funding to keep this work going and um, we're kind of at halfway point now and it passed overwhelmingly on the first half. So, you know, hopefully it will be as successful in the second half. And then we'll have some state dollars, about $3 million to keep this work going. And then in addition, I mentioned that, you know, these, these pair-to-teacher pathway programs started out with ESSER funds, but then, you know, you obviously you've heard Tennessee was the first state to get approved for a, a teacher apprenticeship program. And that kind of started a fever across the nation. And so we partnered with this David Donaldson at the National Center for Grow Your Own. To write North Dakota's application, and we were approved in December of 2022. Mm. So now we can pursue apprenticeship funding through the U.S. Department of Labor for these programs. And we're for the teacher apprenticeship work, we're building on the success of these paired-to-teacher pathway programs. So all of our teacher apprenticeship programs, you know, will be these paired-to-teacher pathway programs.
1: That's awesome. So can you just talk a little bit more for people that might not be um, as familiar about the difference between an apprenticeship program and the, progr- the the grow your own program that you've started?
2: Sure. So the grow your own program, you know, in, in the future, they will kind of be one in the same. Um, however, you know, in the future or in the when we first started them, again, we used our ESSER funds and um, we looked for those individuals who are currently working in a North Dakota school district who are interested in in pursuing and going back to school. And you know I guess it didn't have any of those reporting requirements. That's really the big thing with the apprenticeship work is so but other than that they will look very similar. We will you know again once we get if we're successful in getting the apprenticeship dollars, um, we're hoping to get all of our EPPs on the approved provider list and then we'll put out a, a competitive grant to see who actually gets the US Department of Labor funding, but from there, it will look very similar. They will reach out to the districts, find paras who are interested in continuing to work so that they'll be an apprentice and they'll work in their paraprofessional role while they go back to school to become a licensed teacher. And so um, they're getting paid by the school district to be a para and then the grant is providing the scholarship to go back to school to become a teacher.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Um, you hinted at the early signs of success of this program, the impact that it's had, and that that is really what carried the day when you went to the legislature to to propose um, funding for this. Can you talk about what are the early signs of impact that you're seeing? How do you know that it's successful um, so that people can ultimately you know continue to to promote the the effectiveness of it?
2: Sure. I I think the two key signs of success are number one the interest level and so from the very beginning there has been a waiting list and then when we created the second and third programs they have waiting lists so the interest statewide is just phenomenal and it just shows that people are interested in this type of program and then probably the number one indicator of success is our first program you know that was funded with the special ed dollars what three years ago the first batch Um, They have now graduated, they've student taught, they've graduated, they are all teaching in North Dakota schools. And then the second round there, they are now student teaching. So that is the ultimate symbol of success that they know they went through the program, they graduated, they're all staying in North Dakota, working in these North Dakota schools.
1: That's kind of the dream. So have you followed those cohorts of students to hear more about their experience as they enter into school districts in north dakota
2: you know we have not with the first batch but that has been something that has been brought to our attention that these individuals maybe need some more support their first and second years of teaching so maybe like a mentoring program so that has been a recommendation to include in future programs you know to just continue to offer that support to them because we know we lose many teachers in those first couple years And, you know, again, the rural issue adds another burden where in large communities, you have maybe five classrooms of first grade teachers. So you can all, you know, um, plan together and run ideas by each other. In those small rural schools, you're the one and only. You're the only sixth grade teacher. You're the only third grade teacher. So there's not nobody to necessarily collaborate with. So they really need that mentoring and support.
1: I'm nodding my head because I was one of those uh, algebra teachers and Spanish teachers in a rural Arkansas town and I was one of the teachers who was brought in from out of state because there wasn't the supply of educators from in the state to to be able to fill all of those positions and the isolation that you feel as that early career teacher as the only Person in your subject area. I mean, that's what causes a lot of teachers to leave. So it's great to hear that you're already thinking about how to build that community for them, um, and that they're already invested in the community itself. So it seems it seems like it it could have a really strong long term ROI. The the I think the one area that folks might have questions about, or I don't I don't know if it's skepticism, but it's just about rigor and quality when people hear online programs or they hear you know more access. What when, what do you think about when it comes to maintaining the rigor of a program, while also making it something that people can easily access while doing their, you know, their day jobs?
2: Yeah, and you know, I feel very comfortable that the rigor is there. Um, as I said, our teacher licensing board, which is referred to as ESPB, they all these programs have to be approved by them. And so you know, there's a detailed process they have to go through and be reviewed. And so you know right now we're in the process of putting out communication to all of our epp providers which i don't know maybe 13 and not all of them have an an approved online program currently so if they are interested in doing this kind of work in the future they are going to have to go through that rigorous process of getting approved and so um you know we we have a pretty strong well-established process to submit information and be approved by our education standards and practices board, you know, before they can provide that program.
1: Yeah, I guess as we close out and you think about folks that might be listening to this podcast, they might be state leaders, district leaders that are interested in exploring this pathway. What advice do you have for getting started and for any, you know, bumps that they might anticipate down the road?
2: A um, couple things come to mind. You know, number one, I think it's always great to replicate successful practices that are going around um, going on across the nation and that's why you know i think this podcast that you're doing is, is so great because you know all of the states are dealing with this issue right now and that's why you see so many states applying for a teacher a registered teacher apprenticeship program and great things are happening and so anyone who has not started this process yet i would encourage them to reach out and talk to programs that have gone through the work and are established, so they don't reinvent the wheel and have to do something, you know, a pathway that somebody else has already kind of created and, and, you know, weeded out all the bumps. So, research, you know, successful practices that are already in place. And then an issue that's been brought to our attention is that now with all these paras that are moving into teacher programs, there's a shortage of paras. Mm. So, you know, just something for district personnel to think about that. We have to also find ways to continually be encouraging individuals to become paras and to get that associate's degree and so that they can go on to become teachers, but, you know, it's kind of cyclical. So we got to keep those para positions filled as well.
1: Some of the unintended consequences of a, of a new program, but that seems like another pipeline that can be built in a similar type of capacity. Um, exactly. Laurie Matsky, thank you so much for joining us on The Best of Us. How can folks who are interested in what you're doing uh, get in touch with you?
2: Um, so um, they can reach out to me. Yeah, um, I would love to you know, help anyone answer any questions, share resources that we have. You know, we've put together MOUs that we you know have, have the universities sign that kind of detail everybody's responsibilities. So anyone interested can certainly reach out to me. My email is just lmatsky at nd.gov, and I'd be happy happy to answer any questions.
1: Great. Lori Matsky, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure, and congratulations on all the early success with your program.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening to The Best of Us. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the Kickup PLC at kickup.co slash plc, where you'll find all of the episodes of our podcast and other resources to help educators maximize the impact of their professional learning program.